to The Watcher's Diaries, a weekly podcast all about Buffy. I'm Mary, and this week we're talking about Season 1, Episode 11, Out of Mind, Out of Sight. Um, just a few things before we delve into this week's episode. One, don't forget, we're going to do one more book club episode before the season's out, this time covering California Demon. So if you haven't grabbed your copy yet, you might want to do so. And I think I forgot last week, but I will definitely make sure to put the Amazon link for it in the show notes this week. Two, a huge thank you to everyone who participated in our what does Giles write in his secret diary question, especially as it appears I may have worded the question not quite right. (laughs) Um, I know on Facebook, so many people were like, it's his watcher's diary. It's where he writes down his observation. And I'm like, no, no, it's a joke. It's a joke. (laughs) So we wanted more like along the lines of today, Jenny Callender looked at me and my heart made all sorts of fluttering noises. Exactly. So for those of you who did understand what I was saying, (laughs) yay. Um, And I do have a couple that uh, we're going to share. So of course, somebody wrote cup of tea, cup of tea, almost got shagged, (laughs) cup of tea. <laughs> we also have I have no idea what that girl thinks. Her speech is such that I only understand every other word. That's yeah, that's that's accurate. Bloody children have no idea what they're dealing with and manage to squeak by with nothing but sheer luck. <laughs> Like, all of these are very accurate. No, they are. They're very good. So then, of course, there's... I know it's my favorite one, and I'm pretty sure it was your favorite one, yeah, too. Yeah, And just a huge shout-out to Ginger Linder on Twitter, whose response was the first <laughs> page of Bridget Jones's diary. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is brilliant, because yeah. I, too, believe that Giles should avoid forming emotional attachments to alcoholics, workaholics, commitment-phobics, peeping toms, megalomaniacs, emotional fuckwits, or perverts and instead should go out with a nice sensible computer teacher yes no i i uh now i really need giles diary <laughs> in the form of bridget jones's diary yes absolutely we need rupert giles's <laughs> diary <laughs> anthony stewart had i'm sure would make it someone get on this yeah no he needs to get on tiktok he is on tiktok i know i know yeah but he needs to get it's on mostly t- him like sharing videos of him singing or stuff he did when he was like 25 and i'm like are you trying to kill me good Oh, I know. And then last announcement is next week, we will hopefully uh, be joined by another very special guest who you guys have heard about all season and now will actually get to hear from. Jackie! Yay! Yes, yes. Hopefully if everything goes well timing-wise, Jackie will be joining us for Prophecy Girls. I'm very excited. Oh, that's going to be so much fun. That could just be wild. (laughs) All right. So with that, let's delve into the episode. out of sight. It aired May 19th, 1997. Again, a Monday. And our synopsis is a violent entity torments Cordelia who gets some help from Buffy's crew and a vampire named Angel. Um, Okay, first off, I like that the description is treating Angel like a new character. (laughs) I mean, I get that he disappeared for three episodes. I feel like it's almost from Cordelia's point of view. Like, ooh. But Angel never saw Cordelia. That's, That's the true. other part. That's true. It's <laughs> like he was not involved in the Cordelia plotline. This synopsis just is No, very... you're right. Yeah, no, like, because he, yeah, like, he doesn't come in until, like, he only has interactions with Giles in this episode. Like, <laughs> yeah, and it couldn't even be from Cordelia's perspective because true. She, doesn't she doesn't even know find he's out vamp- he's a 
vampire yeah. to like mid season two. Yeah, no, you're right. I don't know what so, they were thinking. I don't know. Very weird synopsis all around. So this week, I think you requested to be the person who butchers some languages. Oh, yes. Okay. So I do have them open. Let me just get to it. Um, okay. Yeah, so if anyone's wondering why we do this some week and we don't do this other weeks, a lot of times if the title is one word, like angel or nightmares, it ends up just being a literal translation. So we tend to look more on the episodes that are phrases because that's when you get the really fun stuff. So yes, Froggy, butcher some languages for us. All right. I'm not going to do that well either. So we have the Czech, which is Shedzde z Misli, Sedzde z Ochi which is out of mind, out of sight. Finnish is Naki Maton Uka, which is the invisible threat. I like French, that one. French is Porte Disparu, which just means missing. Hmm. German, Osten Ogen Ostemshin, out of sight, out of mind. Hungarian is Shem Elol Tevetsve, losing sight. There's a lot of really good ones. Italian, Lontano Dagli Ochi, Lontano del Cure, out of sight, out of mind. I like that a lot of them restore the phrase. Yeah, 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 which is interesting because of the way that the episode is set up. But yeah. So Brazil Portuguese is Fora del Mente, Fora da Visal, out of mind, out of sight. We're going to skip down to Spanish Latin American, which is Loca e Invisible, crazy and invisible. <laughs> Russian, I can't read Cyrillic, but that one translates to invisible girl or nutty invisible. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. But of course, I can't read Cyrillic, so I can't even try that. And then Spanish from Spain is fuera de mente, fuera de la vista, out of mind, out of sight. So it's funny because you brought up the invisible girl thing. So I did read something where this episode is also known as invisible girl. Yeah. Which... It's weird because that's the first thing I wanted to write on all my notes. Yeah. So yeah. I wonder like if in syndication or something, they use the shorter title. And so like I got used to seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. No, there was something that I felt familiar about. Yeah. Because I literally thought that's what this episode was yeah. called until I went back to rewatch it. Because that's what I've always called it. But anyway, yay. Yay for butchering languages. Yay. I like a lot of those. I do like the invisible threat. That sounds very like yeah. furry. Yeah, the invisible threat is a good is a good one. So we have no previously on. We just get our Slayer spiel before we go to Sunnydale High. And I love that in the script, our intro line is students arriving. It's another fine day on the Hellmouth. <laughs> Cordelia's walking down the hallway, her arm around some hottie's waist, as the two of them in harmony talk about how much they love springtime and the springtime slash end of school dance. Cordelia tells us she's having her dress specialty made and the hottie guesses it's blue, like her eyes. Wrong. Her eyes are hazel. She also calls him Helen Keller, which <laughs> Cordelia. Oh, no. no, no come no. on. Even even you have to know that that's just Oof. no, no. Little problematic. Little, little tiny. Cordelia's got a, a few problematic moments yeah. in the beginning of this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Um, Okay, so for those of you who may not know, but I'm assuming most of you do, Helen Keller was an American author, disability rights advocate, political activist, and lecturer. Having lost both her sight and hearing to an illness as a young child, she communicated primarily with home signs until the age of seven when she met her first teacher and lifelong companion, Anne Sullivan. Attending Radcliffe College at Harvard University, she became the first deaf and blind person to obtain a bachelor's degree. Most people may know the story of Keller and Sullivan from the play The Miracle Worker, which has also been turned into a movie three times over. So according to Wikipedia, her birthday, June 27th, is celebrated as a holiday in Pennsylvania. Did you know that? I did, yes. Yep. What happens for this holiday? It's mostly just learning more about her. So like, as we get older, the um, curriculum for it changes a little bit. Like, I don't know what they're doing now, but when I was in school, like in elementary school, we had like an easy to read book about Helen Keller. And then when we got to high school, we more went over the play, The Miracle Worker and just, yeah. So I... (laughs) I have a question since you guys learn about her. Why is it a holiday in Pennsylvania? She wasn't born in Pennsylvania. I don't know. know. That's nothing that we ever covered. I just know that we celebrated Helen Keller Day or something like that. I mean, it's (laughs) awesome that a state is doing this. I'm just like, she wasn't born in Pennsylvania. But okay, you know what? That's fine. She gets a holiday and that's awesome. Anyway, Harmony tells Cordelia and Mitch, as it turns out the hottie's name is Mitch, that they'll look great in the May Queen photos. Cordelia says she hasn't won yet, but... Before she can finish the sentence, Buffy comes dashing out of the library and the two collide. The contents of Buffy's bag spilling onto the floor. And by contents, we mean a book, some papers, a pencil, a cross, a stake, and a maze that is way too big to have fit in that bag. But whatever. Buffy tries to stammer out an explanation in order to seem a little less weird, saying she borrowed the stuff from Giles in order to use it for history class and show and tell a lie she really should have thought through more, as we've seen in several episodes, that she and Cordelia share a history class. And so Cordelia would have known if there was a kind of presentation due. But again, whatever. She just makes herself seem more weird by trying to hide it. Just be like, hey, how you doing? It's cool. It's cool. I carry this stuff around. Yeah, Cordelia isn't listening anyway. No, no. Like, do you really think Cordelia cares? She already thinks you're weird, Buffy. Exactly. Harmony points out that Buffy is always hanging out with the creepy librarian in the creepy library while Cordelia is dying to tell Mitch about the time Buffy attacked her. Honestly, she doesn't know why the school admits mental cases. Wow. (laughs) Cordelia is just on a roll with things she really shouldn't be saying this morning. Oh, she's so, so bad today. The camera focuses on Buffy's sad face, watching them walk away as a voiceover leads us into the next scene using Shylock's speech from the Merchant of Venice. A scene involving English class Cordelia, Willow, and Xander. The teacher reads a bit more of the speech before asking how it relates to the anger of the outcast in society. There's our theme, boys and girls. <laughs> anger of the outcast in society. Cordelia completely misses the point and says that Shylock is self-involved and a whiner that he needs to get over himself. And she then goes on to tell a story about how she once accidentally <laughs> ran over some girl on her bike. And how even though it was the most traumatizing day of her life, the girl kept trying to make it all about her life. Oh, Cordy. Oh, Cordy. No. As stated above, Shylock is a character from Shakespeare's Merchants of Venice, believed to be written sometime between 1596 and 1599. In the play, a merchant named Antonio defaults on a huge loan provided to him by the money lender Shylock, a Jewish man and an outcast in Venetian society. Though considered a comedy, the play is actually best remembered for its dramatic scenes and speeches, including the one made by Shylock and another made by Portia, in which she talks about the quality of mercy. Attempting to keep the conversation going, the teacher says that Cordelia makes an interesting point 
point, right as the bell rings, which means they'll have to pick it up at a later date. The students gather their books and start to leave as Cordelia approaches the teacher to tell her that she made some good observations and it's nice to know that people actually do the reading. So somewhere in her commentary, Cordelia refers to Willow's suggestion that Shylock was looked down on and ostracized as a Twinkie defense. Apparently, that is a real phrase. Yes. Yep, it is. I did not know that. This is something I learned. Yes. (laughs) Um, So it it is. It's a real phrase. And it's a a derisive. 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 Thank you. Derisive. I don't know why I have trouble with that this morning. It's a derisive label for an improbable legal defense. And the term was first coined by the press during the trial of Dan White for the murders of San Francisco City Supervisor Harvey Milk and Mayor George Moscone. 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 Apparently, his defense was that his depression led to a change in his diet, like consuming mass amounts of Twinkies, which apparently led to diminished capacity and caused him to commit murder. I can see why the press wouldn't buy that. Yeah, no. (laughs) I ate too many Twinkies. Okay. I mean, okay. I, haven't we all ate too many Twinkies and we never murdered somebody? I mean, as Xander will tell us in season two, they are full of ingredients you can't pronounce, which makes them feel light and fluffy and unlike real food. Yes, but they don't make you kill people. They do not make you kill people. Xander no. has never killed anyone. Nope. At least in this universe. No, yeah, no. In this universe. Other yeah. universes. Oh, yeah. well, we'll talk yeah, about we, that. That'll be later. <laughs> Cordelia asks about the final paper. She says she has a whole lot of thoughts in her head, but they keep contradicting each other. The teacher suggests she stop by the next day after school, and Cordelia thanks her before heading out into the hall to catch up with Harmony. Apparently her dress is ready. Mitch is going to die. Cordelia may not be wrong. I love that scene. I love this of Cordelia talking to the teacher. I do. And I love I love the way this episode is set up. Yeah. I love that you you definitely see both sides of Cordelia in this episode and you get the reason why Yeah, there are yeah. two sides to Cordelia. So this is really, I know like we said, you see a little bit of her like the normal Cordelia in Nightmares, but this is the episode that's really starting to set up yep. the fact that Cordelia is going to grow. Yeah, and there is more to Cordelia than just being the vapid popular girl who doesn't care about anybody. Like, it's just like, I like the conversation with the teacher like I like how she is concerned about her schoolwork you know she's not just an airhead like she wants to succeed so that's that's an interesting thing because Cordelia is actually now that like you brought that up Cordelia is never played as stupid no she's played as shallow shallow and an airhead but she's not not stupid. stupid and we actually get references to that and some of her points some of like the way that she says things, like, okay, like when she brought up hitting the the girl with her butt, like she references things in a way that, yeah, it does make it about her. But like the teacher said, like she does make a good point about things. So she just doesn't convey them in a way that regular people <laughs> would. Yeah. Did you notice Willow's shirt in the scene? Uh, I think I have a note on it when Snyder is when Snyder is yelling at everyone yeah, and yeah. then she's talking to Snyder. I do. I do bring it up. But do you want to bring it up now? Can I? Yeah, go ahead. I, I noticed it because I was watching because with Cordelia, but you could see Willow sitting behind her. She was wearing a Scooby-Doo shirt. She was. I love that. I love all the little references to like Scooby-Doo that you see throughout here. Like you'll later see the Scooby-Doo lunchbox in like season three or whatever. Yeah. It's so good. And I think like they, like what I was, what I was reading says, you know, um, that Sarah Michelle Gellar was wearing a scarf that kind of made her look like Daphne in here, which 
is cool because later on she's going to go to play Daphne. So I noticed that in the later half of season one, she wears a lot of scarves. And I was trying to figure out why, but I guess maybe it was just a fashion thing at the time. Yeah, no, it was a fashion thing. I know in my high school, there were a lot of scarves being worn. The next scene involves Mitch alone in the locker room, finishing up a shower. Mitch, we should mention, is played by Ryan Biddle, who before being on Buffy was Todd Wilkins in the Sweet (laughs) Valley High Show. I forgot about that show. <laughs> I have that show on DVD. Don't judge me. Oh, I'm not, I think you're judging yourself because I yeah. wasn't about to judge you. <laughs> oh, good. I, yeah, I have. I love that stupid show. Um, <laughs> after Buffy, he went on to do several things like Dawson's Creek and All My Children. I don't think looking at him, anyone is surprised he ended up on a soap opera. No, no. He, he has that soap opera look. Heading from the showers to the actual lockers, he starts to get dressed as two of his friends ask if he's headed to the bronze that night. Because, you know, it's a school night. Gotta go to the small child's nightclub. What else are you going to do on a school night? Not do schoolwork. (laughs) Apparently not. Maybe. He's got to pick up his tux first. As one friend mentions how he's got to look good on Cordelia's arm, Mitch tells them that it's not his arm he's looking to be on. Ew. I mean, this is the definition. Like, this is the epitome right here of locker room talk. Oh, yeah. But still, Mitch, come on. It's so cheesy and gross. It's just like, oh, come on, man. (laughs) Also, this whole time, this whole scene, I'm just like staring at the baseball bat atop the locker. I know, waiting for I know <laughs> bad things happen in locker rooms, and I'm just waiting. And this again goes back. The lighting is bad. The oh, the whole shower area just looks creepy. I know uh, the the weird like half size lockers. Yeah, it just yeah. The boys' locker room is even creepier than the girls' locker room. But then again, I've never been in. I can't remember the last time I've been in a boys' locker room. <laughs> No, me neither. (laughs) But I do remember in high school, like the locker rooms in our gyms were very brightly lit with like fluorescence. They were not creepy. No, but then again, we didn't live in a supernatural TV series where we need to have those shadows. We did not. No. What are we doing? The friends leave and Mitch is left alone, or so he thinks. A sweeping point of view shot lets us know that he is not alone and that someone or something is most definitely in there with him. A female laugh is heard and Mitch looks around trying to figure out who's there. The laugh comes again and Mitch tells them to show themselves before going to reach for the bat. Only whatever it is gets to the bat first and starts beating Mitch with it. <laughs> See? See? I knew the bat was going to factor into this. Yeah, yeah. No. They they, they they hit you over the head with it like a bat. Like, you know yeah. that something is going to be useful because they do lingering shots on it. As the bat swings towards Mitch's face, we go to the credits. And y'all know what I'm going to say. Still awesome. Still awesome. We return to school where Cordelia is in full campaign mode, giving away chocolate coins with a C on them so people will associate her with something sweet. Buffy is a few lockers down from where Cordelia is talking to her minions. And when Cordelia passes her, she begins to give her a chocolate before stopping herself with a, never mind, I don't need the loony fringe vote. Oh, damn. Wow. So like, this is what we just talked about. They're kind of doubling down on Cordelia's awfulness at the start of this episode so that we can see the transformation as we go through and come to the end of the episode. Yeah, yeah. No, they're, they're again, they're hitting you over the head with it. They are. And Buffy's locker continues to change. So <laughs> the David is now smaller. It's on a different side. It's wearing shorts. Maybe I love those the shorts. Are the car- <laughs> I was like, maybe those are the cargo shorts Xander cut out. 
He gave them to Buffy for the David. I don't know. It also seems a few personal picks are starting to surround the mirror. So this could be going off your theory from last week yep. that this is further sign of Buffy settling in, feeling at home in Sunnydale, kind of like a calm before the storm to come because we are about to talk about this. Oh, yes. Yep. Uh, like exactly like right now we're going to talk about this. Yeah, no, I love the shorts on the David though. Because Xander and Willow join her, asking what Cordelia was up to. Buffy tells them bribery and says how Cordy is looking to be May Queen. This leads Xander and Willow to tell a barely coherent story about sixth grade and a field trip. Really, they're laughing too hard to understand any of it. And I did go to the script to see if it shed any light on what the story might be. But no, the script is also just written in half sentences. (laughs) So like, there's no full... So now I need to know, because there's no full what the story is. We're in the same position as Buffy. We don't know what's going on. We want to know the story. There's something here. But the main point is Cordelia has a history of trying too hard. Okay. So like I said, this is, this is the episode where we, there's a lot to unpack and there's a lot to unpack in this moment right here. Yeah. Because the look on Buffy's face as they tell their story, like we just thought, and I just said, you know, it looked like Buffy was finally starting to feel at home here in Sunnydale. And then we have moments like this that are here to give us and her doubts. Yeah. Because Xander and Willow don't mean anything by it. And they would never actively hurt Buffy. But this story is a huge reminder that they have a history together. And not just them, but them and Cordelia. So all their lives are intertwined. They've been intertwined since like preschool. And she she's still sitting on the edge. Yeah, because we're only um, what is it? Nine, eight episodes in by this is this is episode eight, right? This is episode 11. Well, no, no, no. This is episode 11 of the podcast. Is this, ep- this is... No, this oh, is right. episode we are- 11. Because we only got one more episode Oh, that's this. right. Oh, my God. Okay. I th- I was... Don't worry about my brain. But no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, you're really seeing that even though they are her friends, there is still so much that she wasn't part of, which really connects with the episode and is a great subplot too for the whole thing. It's a great subplot and we're about to talk about why. So Xander asks what kind of moron wants to be May Queen anyway. Buffy points out that she was May Queen back at Henry. They didn't call it May Queen but they had a coronation and the dance and does this mean that is the dance where the final battle took place? See that's the dance where she burnt down the gym in order to stop Lothos? That's what I was thinking. Like, because if that was the same dance and she was crowned queen, then she did all that in the tiara. Yeah. And I am fucking loving that. I, I love that image of her being in a tiara in her pretty dress in Pike's leather jacket. Ha. <laughs> huh iconic look that we will recreate next episode. So Xander tries to backtrack and say that he didn't really mean moron. And besides, she doesn't need that now. She has them. Of course, then Willow remembers another part of the field trip story, which sends her into giggles <sighs> and returns Buffy's feeling of isolation. Okay. <sighs> so the placement of this episode with this theme right before the next yep. is amazing. I know. Yeah. Because up until now, we've been seeing Buffy build her relationships with Giles, 
with the Scoobies, even with Angel to a point. The really relationship at this point is like three cryptic conversations, a makeout session, a near fight to the death, and another makeout session. Yeah. But that's a conversation for another time. No. The last time we saw this theme of belonging pop up, the end result was that, yes, the Scooby gang is their own little pack. They're united. They're here for each other no matter what. But here we see Buffy doubting that. And we see her doubting her place in Sunnydale. And we see her feeling the pangs of the life behind. And this is all coming right, right before yeah. she is to find out she is prophesized to die. And this this also brings back, because I know I was saying in one of the other episodes, just how good Sarah's face is. She does such great face work. She does. Everything. And like how it's how the scene started where she was happy and then the way that her face fell and she was disappointed and just the whole subtlety of her facial expressions is just so good. Oh, her, like, the emotions that run across her face are everything. Yeah, because a lot of times, a lot of, sometimes actors, they don't do well with subtle changes. Like, you Mm -mm. can see where they're going from one expression to the other. But the way that Sarah's face changes is just so good and so sad. And, like, she really pulls you in and makes you feel for Buffy, especially because you are kind of in Buffy's position. You don't know the stories that Xander and Willow have. So you're feeling the same way that you're on the outside looking into this relationship. Exactly. Exactly. And I don't think this is coincidence. Like this, this very much could be a coincidental placement, but I don't think this is coincidence because I think we're very much returning Buffy to the whole she alone status right before her foretold death is coming. And it's just, it's absolutely brilliant. It's heartbreaking, but it's it's, absolutely brilliant. It's reminding her of what, it means to be the Slayer. You know, she isn't supposed to have friends. She isn't supposed to have relationships. The only person she's supposed to be around is her watcher. But here she is building a friendship and then finding out that, yeah, she really is on the outside. She's not a regular girl. No, (sighs) I just, I feel so much for Buffy and just everything about this show is just brilliant television making at its finest. More people need to love it. Exactly. So some kid runs down the hall (laughs) saying Mitch was wailed on and he might be dead. Using our favorite, the verbal transition, the scene switches to Snyder telling us that no, Mitch is not dead. There are no dead students here this week. (laughs) I love that so much. Like, I I love the afterthoughts of this week. You know, we've had dead students, but not today. (laughs) And that student was way too excited to be reporting the news of He was. He was basically (laughs) like, yeah. Because he probably thought they were going to get out of school or something. (laughs) But have they gotten out of school in the past when they've had dead students? I have, classes got canceled, but I don't know if they got out of school because in the first episode, yeah. Cordelia tells Buffy gym class was canceled due to the extreme dead guy in the locker. Yeah. So they start- <laughs> extreme dead this guy. Week. This week. <laughs> They start to wheel Mitch away and Buffy and the others come up to him. Buffy asking what happened. He explains how he heard something and then was attacked. The bat hitting him by itself. Buffy decides she better check out the scene. Heading for the door, Buffy is stopped by Snyder who wants to know where she's going. (laughs) She says Mitch wanted her to grab his comb, but Snyder isn't having it. Mitch doesn't need his comb. Mitch needs medical attention. (laughs) 
and she needs to stay away from the crime scene. I mean, he he's not he's not wrong. wrong. He's yeah. not wrong. I mean, if Bitch you're does need medical attention. If you're thinking about it in the terms of okay, so we all we all have our theories. You know, Snyder, what does he know? If you're thinking about him as just a, t- a principal who has no idea about all the weirdness, he is not wrong. <laughs> Nope. She doesn't need to go see a crime scene. She just needs to get her butt to class. Are the cicadas exactly. invading? <laughs> he begins to talk about how Buffy is always sticking her nose where it doesn't belong when Willow comes to Buffy's aid saying the word Sue very loudly <laughs> and talking about how Mitch was considering suing the school. Immediately, Snyder's attention is drawn to them. As Xander points out, Mitch's dad is the most powerful lawyer in Sunnydale. Willow says that all the other lawyers call him the Beast. Inside the locker room, Buffy looks around, seeing the bat on the floor. She kicks it, but nothing happens. It just rolls like a plain ordinary bat. Hmm. Going over to the locker, she begins to look through them when something catches her attention. Closing the four lockers that are sitting open, she sees the red paint upon them spelling the word look. We move to the cafeteria where Buffy is now sitting with Xander and Willow. Their table is a little further back than the other tables we've seen them sit (laughs) at. And I think this positioning is more in line with like where they will sit for the remainder of their high school years. So I was very excited to see that. Yeah. Buffy isn't quite sure what look is supposed to mean, but she does know it's a message of some sort. Giles finds them and joins them at the table looking adorably awkward about (laughs) it. That's my favorite thing about Giles is just that like he's always finding these students. And again, looking from the outside, you're like, why is this librarian hanging out with these kids so much? What is going on here? Yeah, yeah, it, it does look weird. But Giles, Giles is great in this episode. I do have a moment later on that it's a very small moment, but I love it so much because it is the epitome of group dad Giles. Oh, yeah, he is. He is. Seeing him evolve into the group dad is just so much fun. So when Giles says he's never heard of a lone bat attacking anyone, his answer <laughs> <Sandra> suggests... <laughs> I have this down too. <laughs> that maybe it's a vampire bat. <laughs> and everyone just stares at him and I'm like, it's okay, Xander, I laugh. I laugh too. I... <laughs> I mean, I love a good pun. <laughs> and I just like like how earnestly he says it, too. Like, he knows he's joking, but he's just like, maybe it's a vampire bat. <laughs> like, I feel like... Some of the moments when I'm like, how do you dislike Xander? Oh my god, like, it's just such a ridiculous... <laughs> it's so good. I mean, and I love a good... I love a good pun. So that oh. just... <laughs> And he he just comes out with it. He's so strong. He's so confident in his joke. He is. And nobody laughs, but we laughed. So it's all good. That's right. We laughed. It's okay. (laughs) Giles goes on to tell them that he's looking into various possibilities, like the bat being possessed, telekinesis, or possibly even a poltergeist. Ghosts? That catches Willow's attention. Because if they're talking ghosts, then that's a dead kid. An angry dead kid. As Buffy describes the locker room as a scene. She then asks Willow to compile a list of all the dead or missing kids. I feel like in Sunnydale, that's going to be a, a really long list. I mean, we already have dead people, dead students, like, through this first episode. So how many more are we going to come up with? I feel like the list is probably too short for what 
paperwork <laughs> they come up with later. <laughs> so it's funny because in the original script, it's actually divided. So Buffy doesn't ask Willow for the dead and missing kids at this point. She only asks Willow for the dead kids. And then there is an exchange there where Xander's like, um, hi, we're on a hellmouth. <laughs> That's yeah. going to be a really long list. Yeah. And then Willow responds with like, have you seen the in memoriam section of the yearbook? And it's not till later when they've ruled out Ghost that Buffy asks Willow for the missing yeah. kids. Yeah. So it's it's handled a little bit differently. I could see how it would be cut for time, but like I like that because again, like Xander said, we live on a hellmouth. That is going to be a lot. Yeah. It's been a lot since Buffy showed up. I can I know. only imagine like how many more. Yeah. So Giles says he'll continue researching and ask Xander to help him. Wait, what? There's homework now? When did that happen? Since the beginning? I was going to say, um, Xander, this is this is hardly the first time research has been involved. You were in the library when Willow and Giles were researching things during the whole Sid situation. There has been research. <laughs> Maybe this is just the first time Giles has asked him for help. Buffy tells him it's all part of the glamorous life of vampire slayage. He asks Buffy what part she gets. And she says the learning more about Mitch part. Xander says he wants that part. And Buffy says, fine, he can go talk to Mitch's friends. And Cordelia. (laughs) Cordelia? No, never mind. He'll do research with Giles. Yep, yep. Thought so. Speaking of Cordelia, we next go to her and Harmony in the hall. Harmony runs up to Cordelia, who is getting a drink from the water fountain, and says she wasn't in fifth period. No, she wasn't. She went to the hospital. Harmony asks how Mitch is, and Cordelia says the doctors say he'll recover, but she should have seen him laying there, all black and blue. How is he going to look in their dance photos? (laughs) Harmony assures her they can do wonders with airbrushing. For a moment, the scene changes, and we see Cordelia and Harmony at some unspecified prior time, though the script does tell us it was six months earlier. (laughs) They're at the same spot, and once again, talking about Mitch. Only this time, they're talking about how he just broke up with Wendy, and he's already hanging around Cordelia. She says that in the spring, if he makes varsity baseball, she'll continue taking him for a drive. At this point, somebody comes up to Cordelia and Harmony, greeting them with a, hey guys, as we're currently experiencing the point of view of said person, we don't know who it is. What we do know is that Cordelia shuts them down with a, what do you want? We switch back to now as Cordelia and Harmony begin walking away. Cordelia is saying something about Mitch possibly needing to be propped up. <laughs> As they near the steps, Buffy calls out to them asking if she can talk to Cordelia. They pause and begin to say something right as Harmony is pushed down the steps by an unseen force. Cordelia and Buffy run after her as other students and Snyder go rushing to the scene. (laughs) Snyder tells everyone to give her some space and he orders some random student to go get the nurse. Buffy asks Harmony what happened, but Snyder interrupts with a, hey, who's the principal? (laughs) Before asking the same exact question. Before Harmony can answer, Cordelia tells Snyder that she fell, that they were standing at the top of the stairs and she just fell all by her lonesome. No, Harmony says she was pushed. And while Harmony is speaking, you can once again hear laughter, the same laughter from the locker room. Buffy heads up the stairs as Snyder goes to inspect Harmony's ankle, as she says she thinks it was broken. And of course, he does so with a, don't sue. (laughs) Aw, Harmony. I love Harmony. I love Harmony so much. I love that she gets to have more in the future. Yes. 
At the top of the stairs, Buffy hears laughter again as the door closes. She follows, only to find herself in a set of offices that lead into what appears to be the band room. Asking who's there, she seems to bump into an invisible obstacle before hearing footsteps. She asks again, heading into the band room. This time, the noise seems to be coming from above. A drop tile ceiling panel also closing. Buffy assures whoever, whatever it is, that she doesn't want to hurt them. She just wants to talk. But still, nothing. Very creepy, that whole scene. And darkened band room. Yes! Outside the school, kids pour out classes done for the day as two highly sketchy dudes in oh, suits. They are so sketchy. They are. <laughs> they are like the sketchiest. They are. They're off to the side. They're taking notes. And I'm trying to remember if I even noticed them the first time I watched this episode. No, I don't think I did. I don't think I did. <laughs> yeah, because like I like I told you before we hopped online, this is not one of those episodes that I rewatch a lot. Yeah, yeah. So like I don't remember, but now I even notice them, of course. Of course. And also since we've talked about them. Yeah. Buffy asks Giles if he's ever touched a ghost and he says no, but he's heard about it. That when a ghost passes through you, it's a very chilly feeling. Okay, so that's the problem. Whatever it was, it didn't pass through Buffy. She bumped into it and it wasn't cold, which means it's not a ghost. It's an invisible person. So the exchange here is actually a bit different in the original script. So Willow already has the list of dead kids compiled right, by this right. point and gives it to Buffy. But Giles' answer regarding ghosts is different. He still says he's never touched one, but he does tell a story about having <gasps> seen one. Ooh. In Dartmoor, a beautiful countess who was murdered and who apparently roams the foothill. And Al, I need to know everything about oh, this encounter. I feel like this is probably part of his teenage Year. Quite possibly. So and I'm just like Giles, tell me the story. Oh, uh, I'm gonna have to make something up about that. Yes, you are. I I, I look forward to hearing the Giles story yeah. of the the beautiful murdered countess in Dartmoor. Yes, I will have to think about that. So an invisible girl. Buffy heard her laugh, so she knows it's a girl. So there's a person on campus with the ability to make themselves seem invisible. Something Xander thinks is so cool. <laughs> He'd love to be able to turn invisible. Only he would not use his powers for evil and beating up people. He would use it to protect the girls' locker room. Oh, of course. Oh, Xander. <laughs> Giles remarks that it must be a heady experience, this power. They try to figure out how she got it, and Willow asks if she's a witch, because they know how to fight a witch. <laughs> it's always Xander. a witch. It always comes back to, are they a witch? We know how to fight a witch. We can do this. <laughs> exactly. We're good at this one. This one we got. Vampire and witch, we know how to deal with. Xander remarks that some Greek myths talk of cloaks of invisibility, but those were usually reserved for the gods. To which Buffy remarks... She seems sort of petty for a god, proving that Buffy has never no idea. in her life read a Greek myth or even seen an episode of Xena. No, no, because they are petty as hell in the old Greek myths. Everything was petty. That's how a lot of shit went down in Greek myths was because somebody was petty. You think you're prettier than me? Bam, you're oh, a spider. Oh, oh, you're going to be, oh, nope, now you're a Gorgon. Now you're going to turn men to stone. Like, yes, Aphrodite yeah. was the pettiest of them all. Like, this girl is completely on brand for being a god. Oh, no. She's just She's not one. But if she was, she'd fit right in. Yeah. No, that's... Yeah, no. Buffy needs to read more about gods. So this girl has a grudge. But why then Harmony? Well, with Harmony and Mitch, the common denominator seems to be Cordelia. Buffy asks Willow to pull the missing kids list from 
first thing in the morning. She and Xander start to head out, and Xander asks Willow if she wants to come over for dinner, that his mom is making her famous call for takeout. It's a small thing, meant to be humorous, but it also once again shows the divide that Buffy is feeling. Xander and Willow are going off together, and Buffy is left behind. Giles says he'll start looking into how to make an invisible person visible once more, and asks what she plans to do. She says she thinks Cordelia is staying late to work on her May Queen dress, which means there could be some action. The hunt is on. And asking how she plans to hunt someone she can't see, he says that she may have to work on her listening. <laughs> the shade, oh. Giles. Oh. The shade. Oh. Also, that line is not in the script, and it was added as a voiceover later. Oh, yeah. But I love that. You may have to work on listening to people. Very funny. I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I was like, damn, Giles, that's a oh, shade. He was, he, he was, he was digging in deep there. So apparently Buffy goes home to change and then comes back to school ready to hunt. Entering the darkened halls of Sunnydale, she follows the sounds of girls talking and laughing to where Cordy is trying on her dress and the others are helping slash going through decorations. Buffy watches them sadly for a moment, clearly missing her old life at Hemery, and is about to turn and leave when the sound of flute music catches her attention. Can we note that Buffy seems to be rocking the iconic 90s brown lipstick here? Oh yeah, yeah. No, she's got it. And it matches her pants and jacket, which I love. That is, yeah, she's got it going. I could never, I could never pull off the brown. The brown just never worked for me. It's a ginger thing, I think. Because I don't think Mia could do like mauve, but she can't do brown. Yeah, no, I, ca- I cannot do brown. In the library, Giles also appears to hear the music right before it stops. The sound of a door creaking causes him to pause his track to the stacks as he asks who's there. For a moment, he seems to be studying his reflection in the glass case, which I think means he's checking for like any emotion behind yes, him. Yes, yep. And then he turns to find himself face to face with Angel. <laughs> And all of it, I jumped. I jumped, yeah. Nope. Yeah. Way to be a creeper, Angel. Yeah, no, I like how Giles was using the reflection to check to see if somebody was behind him. Like, it's a great idea, unless it's a vampire. And yeah, what do you have the most of in Sunnydale, Giles? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Giles reminds us that a vampire casts no reflection, and Angel tells Giles not to worry, that he's not there to eat. Giles asks if he's there to see Buffy, and he says, no, he can't. It's too hard. Oh. Leading Giles, I'm like, this is supposed to be, like, meaningful and I'm just laughing. I know. <laughs> Leading Giles to remark on how poetic it is that a vampire should be in love with a slayer. You know, in a, a maudlin sort of way. <laughs> okay, let me go back to my earlier point about three cryptic conversations and two makeout sessions. Yep. <laughs> that's, not, that's not love. I, I think this is more obsession, especially yeah. considering Angel was watching her when she was at Hemery. See, this is the funny part about rewatching this as an adult and watching it like watching teenagers like you think about it differently when you're a teenager watching this it's like oh look how romantic they can't be together because he's a vampire and she's the slayer and they have to meet in secret and i don't i don't think i i ever found this romantic (laughs) (laughs) i I did not know Spike was coming, but apparently I was waiting for Spike to come. Season, <laughs> season one, I was I was more focused on Xander. Yeah, but yeah, I don't I don't think I ever really liked Buffy and Angel together. I think I did. I did at okay. that point. I, that's actually was the next line in my notes because I was going to be like, I know I get tough on Angel, but we all at, from day one, I've let it be known that I am I am Team Spuffy all the way. Yeah, so I was like, oh, wait, have we ever asked Froggy where she is? Like, what team are you on? I am Team Buffy. Just- 
just needs to be happy. Okay. Team happiness is a good <laughs> team one. Team happiness. I'm team happiness. Like I did. In Sunnydale, your team is never going to win. I know. I know. And we discussed that with the, the one episode where they were talking about all of their bad relationships. relationships yeah. Yeah. No, I was, I was team Buffy and Angel just because I did like the whole dark and brooding thing when I was a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> that angel fit into my type as a teenager. So I was into all that. Okay. And I don't think I, I don't think I ship Spuffy as much. So this Ooh. is where you and I are going to be at odds. Yeah. So maybe now that I'm older and rewatching it, maybe I will come over to the dark side. I know in high school, Jackie was very Buffy and Angel. So we'll have to we'll have to see next week if she's she's held on to that. Because that that used to be the fight between the two of us. Yeah, because I do like because I'm in, in my partial rewatch, I am into season two and I do like Spike a little bit more now oh. at this point. So he's so good. He is. I can't wait to get to Spike. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, let's, back let's, to go, let's go back to the episode. <laughs> back to Angel. Yes. Okay. So Giles asks Angel what he can do for him. And Angel says he knows that Giles has been looking into the master. Well, yes, he's been trying to gather all the information he can for the day when Buffy must face him. Angel asks if he's read all the Slayer lore. And Giles admits that while he's read most of it, some of the most helpful texts, such as the Pergamon Codex, have been lost to time. No, not lost. Misplaced. Angel can get them for Giles. Really? Because that would be amazingly helpful. <laughs> Angel looks at the volumes Giles is currently reading, and Giles explains how they're dealing with an invisible girl. Not his area of expertise, remarks Angel. Nor his, but it must be an awesome power. Turning to look once more towards the glass case, Angel says that looking in the mirror every day and seeing nothing is overrated. (sighs) Oh, Angel. Angel, you're so dramatic. He's so dramatic. We then get another flashback. Our invisible girl, Marcy, looking in the mirror. So this is the first time we actually see Marcy. Yep. And so we see that she is played by the extreme extremely talented Clea Duvall. I love her so much and she's so young here. Just She is. I think she said she was about 18 or 19. Yeah, because this was one of the first things that she did. Yeah, it's it's not her first credit, but it's like in the top three. And I mean, Cleo will, of course, go on to be a megastar appearing in She's All That, but I'm a cheerleader, Girl Interrupted, as well as stuff like Popular, American Horror Story. I love Cleo. Cleo apparently also became obsessed with this show. Yeah. Because they were talking to her and she was saying, you know, she was saying she was very young when it was filmed and she thinks they filmed this episode before they even went to air but that once the show was on the air she just she became obsessed with it because she absolutely loved it and they said because like she she thought it was crazy because they were making a tv show out of the buffy the vampire slayer movie so yeah so she obviously knew what the movie was and had watched it and she does like she's so yeah she's such a baby here it's so it's so funny and she she was apparently very shy and introverted yeah yeah because i I mean she may still be very shy and introverted and private but she said that she really felt marcy because she herself was so shy yeah and also like when you're again when you're coming into a show like now now looking at it as a you know as a out of character type of thing you know she's coming onto a show as a guest star for a group of people who have already been working together so it really does help and and i'm sad that we don't get to see her so much because i love her she's so cute 
She's so great. Yeah, I wish we... We'll talk about that a bit more at the end, because I, I do wish this was a thread. I know. We had followed. Yeah, because I know we talked about it before. Yeah. So in the original script, Marcy is described as so mousy, she's the human equivalent of wallpaper. Aww. In the flashback, Marcy is looking in the mirror as Cordelia Harmony and two others come in, complaining about the guest lecture president the assembly they all went to. Immediately, my mind goes to John Mulaney's bit on assemblies, because <laughs> yeah. wow, no lies. <laughs> and that bit like that was every I know the whole street smarts oh, street smarts but also the the one where he talks about having to have an assembly to talk about your behavior yeah at the assembly I'm like I literally sat through like four of those yeah. in middle school like no lies are told anyway they're all making fun of the guy and Marcy attempts to join in only to be ignored completely Cordelia even says the same thing as Marcy just moments later they leave and Marcy turns back to the mirror as we return to the present in the announcement that Cordelia has won May Queen. Cordelia thanks everyone for making the right choice in choosing her. And Xander and Willow slip away from the crowd to join Buffy who is leaning against a column. Cordelia then continues saying how being popular isn't just her right, it's her responsibility. Oh my God, Cordelia. You're making it really hard right now, Cordy. (laughs) They tell Buffy that Giles said she would be there and ask why she is there. Why is she even bothering with the announcement? It's because she still thinks that Cordelia is the key. Willow hands her the list of dead and or missing kids. And that list is definitely like a good six to eight pages long. (laughs) I also like how Willow apparently hole punched it. Like that was just how adorable is that? I feel that. I would do the same thing. Hole punch it and put it in a binder. But you know what? That list could come in handy later. Right? Like, I think, I do think we need like a Leslie Nope-esque binder that we put this information in so we can go back to it if we ever find ourselves in a situation like this. We know there's going to be more dead and or missing children. Oh, yeah. So why are we not compiling a book so then we don't have to research it later we can just go to the book put it in alphabetical order make notes on it see (laughs) we would have been really good scoobies we would have been great scoobies you know i'm a capricorn i like having organization there would be labels on it there'd be categories i love it (laughs) it's great buffy looks over the list as both xander and willow take note of the sketchy ass dudes (laughs) in suits prompting willow to ask if cordelia hired bodyguards i'm glad he knows somebody knows is the sketchy dudes. Right? Good job. Because there's sketchy dudes hanging around a high school. Yeah, which, okay. How did they even know to come to Sunnydale? <sighs> well, did we report... So is Marcy... Marcy was reported missing. See, that's the thing. Uh, like, how... But when was Marcy reported missing? Like, why are they there now? Marcy went missing, like, six months ago. So why are they in Sunnydale now? I know. Like, the thing is... <laughs> I'm trying to think. I really, I really can't. Could, like, could they have bitten Mosty? The thing is, they were there right after Mitch got attacked. They showed up. Because yeah, the only so thing I could think of is if there was some kind of report about unseen assailant. Unseen assailant. But I mean, it very well could have been that because if they're like the LA field office, it wouldn't have taken them long to get to Sunnydale. Yeah. Like, it's just the the timing. The timing is just Yeah, really the timing weird. The timing is very weird. And I understand it, it's a television show. We need to let go of it. But I'm just like, why are they? And then the other thing, like, it's like the thing. Okay, so we're gonna, we're gonna say that these guys know that a lot of weird stuff goes on in Sunnydale. Yes, like they're basically like, we're basically saying like the X-Files are real here. That's exactly like they know. Yeah. They know shit goes down. Yeah, so this is, yeah. So they're prepared to be bringing people in, but the timing, like the timing is just weird. Like it just doesn't make much sense because this is only, because she's only attacked Mitch and Harmony and Harmony 
didn't go to the hospital. I don't know if she went to the hospital or what happened. But yeah, we just got to suspend our disbelief here. Yeah, no. That's... <laughs> yeah. So like I said, it, it, it's been six months. So the most recent girl to go missing, Buffy finds, is Marcy Ross, who went missing about six months, which would have been just before Buffy moved to Sunnydale. So if there are other missing and dead... But okay. So again, we're just going to talk about the suspension of disbelief. Yes. Because if this list is missing and or dead kids, Marcy is not the most recent entry. No, no. But maybe it's just the most recent entry that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's probably what they're going for. Because then Buffy goes on to say that like her only activity was banned. She played the flute and Buffy heard the flute music. Yeah. But I'm like, even missing, there's some kid that vampires got to that like didn't come home. Yeah. That would have been past Marcy. But again, we're going to suspend we're, our we're disbelief. Thinking, we're thinking about it too hard. We're thinking too much on it. We're putting logic where logic doesn't exist. Buffy heads back to the band room while Xander and Willow head off to geometry. Near the spot where the ceiling tiles moved, she sees a shoe print on a chair. Taking that as a sign, she climbs up into the ceiling herself, crawling around. She eventually finds the little nest Marcy made for herself and carefully makes her way over. There's a makeshift bed, Marcy's flute and some sheet music, some clothes, a teddy bear, and a yearbook. Opening said yearbook, Buffy confirms that their Invisigirl is indeed Marcy Ross. As Buffy looks over to the inside cover, she can feel someone behind her and the knife that is pointed at her back. Taking the hint, she closes the yearbook mm-hmm. and heads back down below. We then go to the English classroom where the teacher from earlier is grading papers. We hear the door open and footsteps as she turns to greet whoever just came in. Only there's no one there. We hear Marcy's laughter as the teacher asks again, who's there? She looks around as a plastic bag is placed oh. on her head and pulled <laughs> tight. A few minutes later, Cordelia arrives to find her passed out on the desk. Removing the bag, the teacher says she was attacked, but she didn't see by who. As Cordelia helps to steady her, a piece of chalk seems to begin floating as Marcy writes, listen, on the board. Funny enough, Fred will later write, listen, 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 on the walls while having a breakdown of her own on Angel. Yep. Back to the library, Buffy explains to Giles and the others what she found, how Marcy must have been living up there for months. She shows Will and Xander the yearbook and they take in how everyone just wrote the same thing. Have a nice summer. It's a phrase Xander calls the kiss of death. Something you write when you have nothing else to say. Buffy asks Willow and Xander if they're sure they don't know Marcy as they both wrote it too. Well, Willow wrote have a great summer. Oh, yeah. But still. Yeah, that's better. Xander says they must have never seen her except to sign the yearbook, and that's when Willow mentions they each had four (sighs) classes with her last year, yet never seemed to notice her. It's almost like Marcy became invisible because people perceived her as such. At that, Giles jumps up. Of course! (laughs) They've been looking at the mystical when they should have been looking at the quantum mechanical. Oh, Giles. Someone call Hank Pym. Oh, yeah. I don't know, or maybe maybe Scott Lang, because Hank Pym is kind of an ass. But anyway, he says the issue here is physics, reality, and how it's altered by our perception. (laughs) Mixed with that energy from the Hellmouth, and poof! Invisigirl. Another flashback shows the English classroom as they talk about whatever they're reading and the main protagonist. The teacher calls on various people in the classroom, Cordelia, Willow, Xander. It seems no matter how many times Marcy raises her hand, she never gets called. Eventually, she stops raising her hand, her fingers flickering between see-through and not. And apparently the creator wanted to do this visual because he loved the scene in Back to the Future. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Where Marty starts to disappear. Yeah, yeah. So that that was why they wanted to show 
Marcy and her starting to go invisible, but I, I love it. Yeah. Back in the now, Buffy says the invisibility isn't something Marcy can control. It was something that was done to her, that they did to her. Like, okay, hold on there, Buffy. You weren't even a student at Sunnydale yet. Yeah. This is not your fault. But, you know, kudos to her for not wanting to just point fingers at Willow and Xander. Plus, you know, there was probably a girl or two at Henry that her old group made feel the way Marcy did. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, Buffy, Buffy's thinking that she could have done this to somebody else, too. Xander asks, what does she want? As Buffy shows her the page in the yearbook, a page of a picture of Cordelia, her face drawn over. Seems they were right. What? Overhearing the last bit, Cordelia rushes in and towards the table. She was hoping she'd find them there. She knows that they've had their differences, but with Buffy being being so weird and hanging out with total losers. <laughs> she also knows that Buffy knows deep down the same thing she does. This is all about her. <laughs> And since, you know, Buffy is strong and, and has weapons and stuff, she thought maybe she was in a gang and would be able to help. I legit laughed out loud at the I gang know. line. I just, what the fuck, Cordelia? Standing Giles offers Cordelia his seat at the table while remarking he doesn't think he's ever seen her in there before. Well, no, she has a life. <laughs> With a long-suffering sigh, Buffy tells Cordelia that her attacker is an invisible girl, one who seems to be harboring a lot of anger at her. Not that Xander could ever imagine that personally, (laughs) but you know, takes all kinds. Cordelia doesn't care. She doesn't care what it is. She just wants Buffy to get rid of it. (laughs) Buffy tells Cordelia it's not that simple as it's not an it, it's a person. Marcy Ross, does Cordelia have any idea why Marcy would be so homicidal towards her? After remarking that she cannot believe Marcy is actually wearing Laura Ashley, she tells them no, she's never seen the girl before in her life. (laughs) Which leads us to the ceiling where Marcy is having a bit of a meltdown, ranting about how Cordelia may have never seen her, but that just means Cordelia will never see her coming. She saw them though, Cordelia and her friends, saw them drain the life right out of people. Marcy moves aside a piece of fabric and we see that she has a rope. Well, that can't be good. Nope, nope. That whole, that whole, for, for being as young as Clea was when she did this and being so new, that whole rant is so good like it is that's so good and so is the scene in the bronze yeah yeah she just like has so much like you can just see the potential that she had just from this Mm -hmm. she's so good i love her so much but you can't blame her too like how blame marcy like for how she felt like Poor girl. Back down in the library, Giles tries to decode the messages. Look, listen, it's so vague. Buffy thinks it's because Marcy's not done yet, that she has more to tell them, and so they're not meant to understand. Okay, and this is where I'm talking about that it's such a small moment. Yeah. But it's like the most adorable dad Giles moment where he taps on Xander's sneakers to get him to move them off the table. I know, like, he's adopted all of them. They are his family, they are his children, and he loves them no matter how annoying they can be yes it's it's just such a delightfully domestic moment like don't put our feet on the furniture no no so what now well, Marcy seems pretty wigged on the whole May Queen thing, so it's probably a safe bet she's going to try and disrupt the coronation. Maybe they should avoid the bronze. Why is this school event taking place at the bronze? That's weird, right? That is weird. Like, you would think it would be in the gym. Because, like, prom in season three is in the gym. Yeah, but why are we so hooked on the, the bronze? It's always the bronze. Like, well, it's a dramatic looking place too, though. So for yeah, it is very, it is very dramatic looking. But as we are going to be talking about, like doing it in the school, Buffy and Cordelia are in the school. So if yeah. they had it in the school, things would be easier. Yeah, 
Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about that because I definitely have yeah. a lot of questions about that when yeah. we get there. Yes. So Cordelia says, no way is she staying away from the bronze. And Xander makes a crack about her priorities. But Cordelia counters it with, if she is not crowned, then Marcy wins. And Marcy <laughs> is evil. Way more evil than her. Uh, Cordelia, I would like to have a word with you. Well, Buffy is forced to agree with her. And they decide to go to the coronation. After all, they can use Cordelia as bait. Yeah. <laughs> Buffy goes off with Cordelia so she can get ready, while Willow and Xander stay with Giles to help with the next round of research. What they don't know is someone is watching them. This is not the last time Cordelia will be used as bait. Oh, no. We will also see her offered as bait in the season three opener, Anne. Oh, she does... She does make good bait, though. She does make good bait. Buffy and Cordelia head down the hall. As Cordelia mentions, it's kind of creepy. Marcy being invisible and all. How for months she must have been watching them, learning their secrets. Thanks, Cordelia. Because now (laughs) I'm creeped out. Now I'm thinking about if there's anybody watching me. Thank you. Right? Right? I keep watching the door behind you because I have such a a paranormal activity kind of feeling going on right now. Like, is that door going to do something? Well, now I'm creeped out. (laughs) Hey, now I'm, yeah, that's great. I feel so safe now. Watching Panda's going to come in. Uh, no, she knows better. I mean, she would knock. She She's very good about never just like opening the door up here because she doesn't want to freak me out. So she tends to knock. Plus at our house, I can hear it. Like you can hear everything. I could yeah, hear her coming up yeah. the stairs. See, at least you don't have a nine-year-old creeping in. That's true. Because we're disturbing him. <laughs> she also asks if it's true Marcy turned invisible because she was so unpopular. Yeah. Yeah, that just about sums it up. It must be awful, Cordelia says, to feel that alone. What? Has she read something about it? Cordelia stops and asks Buffy if she really thinks Cordelia is never lonely. Just because she's so cute and popular, she can be surrounded by people and be totally alone. As none of her friends really know her, she doesn't even know if they like her. They just want to be in the popular zone. She goes on to say that when she talks, everyone is so busy agreeing with her, they don't even hear her. Okay, well, if it sucks so much, then why does she work so hard at it? Simple. It beats being alone all by her Herself. This is just, this is a fantastic Cordelia I moment. love it. I love it. Because it's so earnest. It's so raw. You know, she's, you see a different side of Cordelia. And I yes. love it. Like, I love that she is not who you think she is. No, she's not. And like I said, I think this is totally why they doubled down on her, like, awfulness. Yeah, yeah. In the first half of the episode. So you have this moment of, like, yeah, will I put on this act? Because what? Otherwise, I'm going to be by myself. And who wants that? Yeah. And you know what? Like, It always bothers me when people take a look at somebody who's popular or famous and like, oh, well, what do you have to worry about? Because you're famous. Like being popular doesn't negate any other feelings that you have, like of being Mm -hmm. alone, of being isolated. But again, like what is her other option? Being all by herself without people? Yeah, yeah, you're right. I love Cordelia. So much. Back in the library, Willow, Giles, and Xander hears Marcy's music and so head out in the hall in an attempt to, I don't know, pinpoint where it's coming from. They follow thinking maybe they can talk to her, reason with her, or, you know, just grab her. There are three of them after all. The scenes with Marcy playing flute remind me of college. So, because we were just talking about creepy stuff, so this will fit. Yes, yes. Um, So we had a large performing arts building, which had some of the best student lounges on campus. Plus, it was never really packed like some of the other buildings. So occasionally we'd go there to hang out or have our RP session. Yeah. And every once in a while, as you'd cut through the hall, you'd hear someone in one of the practice rooms. So there'd just be this piano music like wafting through the halls at like nine o'clock at night, seemingly coming from nowhere. Do you remember the one time we were in Philly and we heard what sounded like like creepy flute music 
coming up out of the sewer grate. Yes! That's what I was thinking of during this episode. Like, where was that music coming from? That was some creepy Pennywise bullshit. Pennywise are like the reptile people from Pendergast. I know. There's so many options and none of them are good. It was just so, so creepy. Trying to find a place where Cordelia will be safe, Buffy has her change in a mop closet. A secret she swears dies with her. Continuing to follow the sound of the flute, Giles, Willow, and Xander venture into the basement? You would think after last week they wouldn't be so keen to go into the basement. No, don't go into the basement. No, don't follow the creepy flute music into the basement. Sandra identifies the room it's coming from and they head inside. Oh, look, there are chains hanging from the ceiling. What is going on in this school? I was like, do they have another werewolf in the school? Has horrible, has horrible like torture gone on in this oh room? Oh my God. Why are there chains? <sighs> what is the janitor doing? Like, <laughs> like we did, of course, because we saw the janitor in the puppet show. So yeah. what is that janitor up to? I don't know. I don't know. Like, I now don't trust the janitor. Don't go into the basement. They begin apologizing to Marcy, saying they just want to talk. But it doesn't matter because Marcy isn't really in there. It's a recording. They've walked straight into a trap, as emphasized by the slamming door and the sound of hissing coming from the pipes. Good job, y'all. Outside the closet, Buffy tells Cordelia she understands what she said before. She gets it. Cordelia wants to know in what alternate universe Buffy was popular in Los Angeles. But she always felt something was missing. Oh, is that when she got really weird and kicked out and stuff? Buffy asks if they can have the heartfelt talk with a little less talk from Cordelia. And that's when things go south. For a moment, all is quiet. And then there's the sound of a struggle. Punching through the closet door, Buffy unlocks it and enters just in time to see Cordelia being pulled through the ceiling. She swings herself in via a pipe and follows. Back in the basement, Giles figures out the sound they heard is gas leaking from the pipes. They begin looking for a way to turn it off, only to discover that Marcy disconnected the shutoff valve. And they can't force the metal doors open because if anything was to spark, it would blow up the whole school. Buffy finds Cordelia up in Marcy's nest, unconscious. It looks like a new bit has been added, a drawing of a prom queen getting stabbed. Only the queen in the drawing is blonde, not a brunette like Cordelia. Buffy tries to wake Cordelia, but Marcy pushes her away, causing Buffy to fall through the ceiling into the classroom below. Tossing down a doctor's bag, Marcy climbs down and injects Buffy with whatever it was she injected into Cordelia, causing her to pass out. She comes to, tied to a chair at the bronze beside Cordelia, and I have a lot of questions about this. So many questions. So many questions. We saw Marcy. She was an average-sized high schooler. Yes. And we know that whatever happened to her made her invisible. We have heard nothing about her seeming stronger or any of that. We no. d- she's just invisible. So her being able to pull Cordelia through the roof was unbelievable as it was. And then... But now she has somehow dragged both Buffy and Cordelia out of the... Cl- so she got Cordelia back down from the ceiling, dragged Buffy and Cordelia out of the school to some sort of transport, drove to the bronze and dragged them inside with no one noticing. I'm okay, looking, I get it. I'm looking at the Slayer stats book right now. To see the, where the bronze and is. And the map of Sunnydale. And like, okay, so Sunnydale is like in the middle, but the bronze is not close. No. Like the bronze is in one of the corners of the town. Like it is several, like you like down G Street apparently is what it is, but like crossing over several other streets until you got to get to the bronze. Like, how did she 
get them there. That's so what I'm saying. If they would have had it in the school, it would have made more sense because yeah, because you just drag them down to the auditorium. Yeah, and the school is empty. Yeah, but like I know the whole point is that nobody notices Marcy, but you would have noticed this like body <laughs> just being dragged no. across by like nothing or a car driving itself with two teenagers in it we don't have self-driving cars at this point either so no like someone would have something about this would have seemed weird because how okay two whatever two of them one person whatever. wouldn't be so bad but two of them to the bronze I just, I have so many questions. And we're not going to get answers ever. Nope. Never. Never. As the two wake up, Cordelia tells her that her face is numb. Why is her face numb? Buffy doesn't know, nor does she know what the glittery learn across the curtains means. I like how the other two were like really creepy. And then this is just glittery. I know. I know. She took her time with that last message. She did. Well, she had time. They were unconscious. Yeah. Or maybe she set it up before she... I don't know. Oh, maybe because she did have the like black curtain up in her nest. Yes. So maybe she made it in the nest. Back in the basement, Giles manages to dial the gas back a bit. Something he says should give them a few moments. When Willow asks why Marcy is doing this, Giles says she's been driven mad by the isolation and the loneliness. In the bronze, Marcy wheels a small silver cart towards Cordelia and Buffy. She says she's disappointed in them that she thought they would have figured it out by now. Buffy asks Marcy to explain it to them, but Cordelia says, yeah, what is it they're supposed to learn? Cordelia doesn't get it. She's not the student. She's the lesson. Cordelia then asks about her face. Oh, her face. The thing Marcy says makes her shine a little bit brighter than the rest of them. She says everyone wants what Cordelia has to be noticed, remembered, seen. When Cordelia asks what Marcy is planning to to do, she pulls the sheet off, revealing surgical tools. Knives. She says she's going to give Cordelia her fondest wish, a face that no one will ever forget. How very Joker-esque. I was also thinking in um, Princess Bride. Oh, yeah. To the pain. The whole thing, you know, that everybody all runs screaming. Yes. Yes, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Okay, so is it bad that I kind of wish we got to see, like, an alternate version of Cordelia that's, like, basically Joker Cordelia, yeah. where Marcy did slash up her face, and she, like, went totally batshit That afterwards. would be awesome. That would be awesome. Like, yeah, I, I need, I need like, I know we Cordelia. have, like, I know we have the world where, you know, in the wish verse where Buffy never came to Sunnydale. So everybody became vampires, but I'd like a verse where it's just, it's not quite as extreme, but like all the other weird stuff went wrong. Yeah. Like I need a, like, I mean, I know we're doing the multiverse in the comics right now. Come on, somebody give me villain Cordelia. Get in that. Wrapping a metal pole in Giles's jacket to prevent sparks. Giles and Xander start ramming the door, attempting to break it open. In the bronze, Buffy tells Marcy she can't do this. To which Marcy sassily replies, what are you going to do? Slay me? She says she ne- she really thought Buffy understood her vision. But alas, she's just like the rest of them. Approaching Cordelia with the scalpel, she says that Cordelia should be thanking her. That when people pass her by on the street, they'll remember her. That children will dream about her. And everyone who comes to the coronation will carry the sight of the May Queen to their graves. While all this is going on, Buffy is flexing her hand, her wrist, trying to loosen the restraint. Cordelia tries to stall longer, but Marcy says they really need to hurry. That the local anesthetic will be wearing off soon, and it won't be as much fun if Cordelia passes out. <laughs> Speaking of which, it looks like Giles, Willow, and Xander are all very close to blacking out in the basement. Getting closer and closer, Marcy says that she thinks they should start 
start with Cordelia's smile. It should be wider. Oh, yeah. Cordelia tries to tell Marcy she understands, but Marcy isn't hearing it, slicing at Cordelia's face with the scalpel and cutting her cheek. Thankfully, Buffy has managed to work free and kicks both Marcy and the cart away before going to start on Cordelia's restraints, trying to free her. Giles, meanwhile, is very, very close to passing Aww, out, poor Giles. along with Willow and Xander, which is when Angel shows up, opening the door and dragging them out. Xander is surprised to see him and asks what he wants. He said he was bringing Giles the codex and came in through the basement smelling the gas. Giles says they need to shut it off and Angel volunteers. Not like he needs the oxygen. We should note this is one of the few episodes where everyone except Giles gets knocked out. (laughs) I I noticed that. (laughs) That's a nice little switch from normal. Yeah, poor Giles. He always gets knocked out. Having been knocked to the ground by Marcy, Buffy gets to her feet. She says in the beginning she felt sorry for Marcy. She didn't factor in the fact the other girl was a thundering loony. (laughs) I love how behind Buffy you can see the ghost light of the bronzes stage. It's just it was a nice little detail. She and Marcy fight one more once more, and Marcy reminds Buffy she's invisible. How is Buffy expecting to fight someone she can't see? Buffy tells Cordelia to shut up, as Cordelia has been crying slash whimpering, presumably remembering what Giles said about listening. Closing her eyes, she stops, listening for the sounds of Marcy. Finally hearing a floorboard squeak, she turns and punches her so she falls through a curtain, which also falls and drapes around her, making her form visible. Buffy punches her again as the sketchiest fuck dudes show up to take Marcy away. Buffy then realizes she isn't the first. This has happened at other schools. As she asks if the government dudes who identify as FBI can cure her, they say they can rehabilitate her and that in time she'll be a useful member of society. (laughs) Interesting phrasing. Yeah, yeah, I don't don't like that. Buffy tells them they're creepy and they tell Buffy to have a nice day. As they leave, Cordelia asks if she can get untied now. Back at school, presumably the next day, the trio and Giles walk down the hall, Buffy remarking that she can't believe how twisted Marcy got. She then asked how they managed to escape the basement. And before Xander can tell the real story, Giles cuts off saying, Janitor. The they creepy, the, the yeah, the janitor that keeps the creepy basement. Yep, he was like, oh no, people are in my Oh no, den. my secret, my secrets are out with all my chains hanging from the ceiling. They head towards the library and are about to enter when Cordelia comes up to them. She didn't get a chance to say anything the night before with the coronation and all, but she did want to tell them, all of them, thank you. Willow then starts to invite her to lunch, but Mitch walks up, unable to believe that Cordelia is hanging out with such losers. She asserts him she wasn't and that she was just being charitable, helping them with fashion advice. As she walks away and they enter the library, Xander wonders, where is an invisible girl when you need one? Well, Xander, she is at the super secret, super sketchy government Run school. Oh my god. Super, super creepy. Led down the hall, Marcy is shown to a classroom where a woman is teaching other invisible students like herself. She sits down and the class is instructed to turn to the chapter on infiltration and assassination, <laughs> where the first scenario is a radical cult leader as an intended victim. Well then! Well, okay. So, so Panda walked in while I was watching this scene and I said something to her like, why don't we ever see this again? To which she replied, because they're all invisible. <laughs> Panda, thanks a lot. Thanks, Panda. As soon as you, as soon as you started setting that up, I knew she was going to say something about that. <laughs> you know, so I just, but again, this is one of the things. Like, even when we bring the initiative back, 
in like season four. And so we know that like, yes, there are government military ties to this kind of stuff that goes on. We never see this again. I know. Like, I love this whole idea that they, I mean, I don't love the idea of them using invisible children, but I do love the idea that they have them in a super secret government assassin school where these invisible children are going to be trained. Yeah. No, it's a great idea. And I mean, there are so many threads, especially here in season one, that like we've talked about. I like, yeah. I wish we had picked up and and gone with farther. And yeah. this is one of them. Or hell, even like a spinoff series about the weird invisible assassins. I don't care. I just yeah. need to know more but about But then this. the other thing is, it's like, so we have an assassin class. We have an invisible assassin class. But like, are there other classes for other like... Yes. Hockey things that happen to kids that that they would have like right like what is the breath what is the breath of this program breath yeah yes yeah like what else are they doing you know come on it was it was such a good setup that they had it really really was and like it would have fit into season four yeah when you brought all this back okay so that's we are now down to one final episode oh my god I mean, at least for the show, we have about three episodes left till we wrap our season. Yeah, but still, we this was this was the penultimate episode. We I are know. oh my we are gosh. down to the end of season one. That's so <sighs> crazy! Ex- I can't believe I'm excited. it. There's- I know. I'm excited. I'm excited for next week. There's a lot to talk about Prophecy Girl and, and connecting it back to the beginning of the season. And we're going to yeah. have Jackie. Hopefully it's oh, going to be a great episode. I'm so excited. I can't wait. I can't wait to have Jackie too. That's going to be so much fun. I know. Okay. Well, that is just about it for this week. Uh, thank you all for listening and make sure you join us next time when we take on season one, episode 12, Prophecy Girl. Until then, check out our various social media channels, all of which will be listed below. And if you like the show and you want to let us know it, you can subscribe rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts or you can write us directly at thewatchersdiaries at gmail.com bye bye